of the Redwood Bureau, there exist records so chilling they defy conventional understanding of justice and morality. Among these are the accounts of the doldrums, a term that belies the true horror of what it represents. This place is not just a disciplinary measure. It is a merciless lesson of the lengths to which the Bureau will go in its pursuit of control and secrecy. The doldrums, overseen by a select few within the Bureau, stands as a testament to the organization's willingness to operate in the shadows, far beyond the scrutiny of law and ethics. It is here, in this place where time and identity lose their meaning, that the Bureau's punishments are intertwined with their experiments. A labyrinthine complex designed not just to confine the body, but to unravel the mind. Within the confines of these cold, echoing corridors, the concept of retribution takes on a new dimension. It is a realm where psychological boundaries are tested, and the line between sanity and madness becomes perilously thin. The Bureau's methods here are a dark mirror to its outward facade, revealing a willingness to delve into practices that stand in stark contrast to its purported mission. The files within this document are but the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the doldrums. They show a descent into a nightmarish reality, where the rules of the outside world no longer apply, and survival hinges on navigating a maze of manipulation and psychological torment. This is not just an account of human experiences or suffering. It is a window into the darker aspects of an organization that operates in the gray areas of power and self-given authority. It serves as a sobering reminder that, within the Bureau, there are fates far worse than imprisonment, and places where the human spirit is tested to its breaking point. The doldrums are a clear embodiment of the Bureau's hidden face, a face that, once revealed, challenges and compels us to question the true cost of the Bureau's guardianship over the unknown. The dull buzzing of fluorescent lights awakens me from slumber. Silence reverberates in the cramped, claustrophobic room echoing all around me. No windows, just the overhead light and a scratched, barely reflective mirror. I sit on the hard, uncomfortable bed, waiting. For what? I don't know. A terrible pain pierces my gut when I stand. I pound on the gray metal door and receive no response. No sounds outside. Just the gray door and the gray room. As time passes, I find myself restless. Wondering. Waiting. Yet, oddly calm. 
I had no idea where I was or why I was there. I just woke up here. I hear a man awaken, presumably in the room next to me, and apparently his recollection was vast compared to my own. This isn't happening. This can't be happening. He sputters through a panicked voice. How did they find me? I asked him what's going on, where we are. But he doesn't reply to me, just continues to yell and rant. Hey, hey, hey! He shouts. You have to let me out of here! I can't go back in the doldrums! His screams go unanswered as I hear footsteps draw closer. Without a word, a small metal flap opens at the base of my door, and a stack of papers is shoved through. Litigation. A voice claimed before the footsteps recede back down the hall. Amidst the shrieking of the man next to me, I read, careful to see every line of text out of fear I may never see it again. The papers claim I had violated the Redwood Bureau's terms of confidentiality, and my punishment was to be something called doldrum duty. This term was something the screaming man next to me had been yelling repeatedly. The paper goes into very little detail as to what this duty might entail, reading that if hard labor is completed flawlessly, then an appeal may be possible upon review. Doldrum duty involves interacting with things that others veer away from. This is all it explains, followed by a litany of complex legal papers, which conclude that I may die from this punishment, and that the responsibility of such an outcome lies solely upon me. Horrifyingly, despite me having no memory of it, the bottom of the papers bear my signature. The footsteps return, but remain distant, more of them this time, and a door opens. Then I hear a scuffle, a bump into thud, followed by a smack. Someone please, begging for his life. A gunshot stops him mid-sentence. After the door closes, footsteps approach my room. It opens, and a man dressed in a white guard's uniform says, You are to begin your work in one hour, he says with a stoic face. Take these. I'll see you then. He hands me some small pills, turning to me before leaving to say, Keep quiet. I nod. Following his advice, I popped whatever it was they gave me into my mouth, downing it with a sip of water provided. A few minutes passed before I felt it kicking in, a wafting waviness that followed my every motion. After a bit more time passed, I was completely dulled. Unable to function, 
unable to act. Once the full hour had passed, I felt slightly more lucid. Enough to hear the arrival of footsteps at my door once more. It opens and I stand up, waiting. Once instructed, I walk out of the door and into the sterile, gleaming hallway. I felt sloshy, my steps lurching my organs back and forth. One of the men beside me, in a white lab coat, said something I couldn't quite make out. Attempting to understand what it was he was saying, I stopped and asked, What? Only to have one of the guards punch me in the kidney. Keep it moving, he says, devoid of emotion. We walk through clean white halls, beset by white fluorescent lighting, made brighter by the haze clouding my mind. I asked the man in white a question. What did you give me? While focusing every amount of attention I could grasp to his response. It's called Cradle. A new drug that helps people calm down. He says candidly. I was unable to mount a response. And as I slowed down to think. An explosion of pain in my back spread through my body as the forceful strike pushed me nearly off my feet. The white fades gradually, piping is exposed alongside tendrils of layered wires. Grayish tones that hide beneath the skin of pale. Where? Where are we? I asked. No response. The flashing red lights came into focus. Reading doldrums in neon text over a large metal door. Once at its face, I was told, Raise your arms, turn around, and drop to your knees. In a moment of confusion, I hadn't been able to understand the set of instructions, and instead swiveled my head around to see a man with a rifle aiming straight at my face. As I put my arms up, a foot kicks my knees out. I drop, and I feel the cold rifle barrel against the back of my neck. The moment lingers as I hear beeping behind me. After a handful of agonizing seconds, I was told to rise, and I could hear the door slowly opening. Turning around, I see the man in the white lab coat, who hands me what feels like a dollar store flashlight. Your aim is to get to the other side unscathed, he informs without a hint of emotion. You're likely to find others in there, so be wary. The only safety is in the dark rooms. As soon as this brief exchange is over, a familiar punch to the back sends me stumbling in. While the doors gradually shut, I look behind me to see guns pointed. Once the doors close, 
I am surrounded by darkness, with only a distant beam of light orienting me, shining through the window of a door. I click on my flashlight and can see the concrete encapsulating the room. My steps echo back to me moments later. The click resonated through the halls, and every breath has an acute sound to it. My heart was quaking, and my muscles electrified. A wash of anxiety, which oddly doesn't grow. Likely due to the drug. Despite the situation, my calm never loosens, and I find myself walking forward with no other options. Nothing decorates the rectangular hallway I walk through. No alternate directions, just the straightforward path. At the door, I cannot help but take a moment's pause. The resonating quiet deafens my ears. Any sound I make is incredibly loud, and I can feel a distant hissing noise. I enter the next room and stop, turning off my flashlight as the room is well lit. Through an immense drop stands pillars, structured in equidistant rows that go off into the distance. Between them, a network of graded walkways, punctuated with railing. Below, I cannot see a bottom, and above is only the lights, placed in a similarly perfect manner. Whatever claustrophobic sonic ambience that was present in the hall had vanished, leaving only a grandiose, vast feeling. Nothing word or hummed. Instead, the emptiness voiced itself by swallowing all noise. With caution, I stepped forward, exploring a small portion of the walkway, before eventually finding something far away. Noting that I had left the row I entered on, I walked two rows down to encounter a door, its angle slanted, as if in protest to the orderly fashion of its surroundings. Placed squarely in the center of an intersection, its color white with a silver handle. With the minimal lighting, I couldn't see any other doors in the distance. Its angle jarred me. Against all logic, I decided to open it, finding a quiet office on the other side. The lights were off, so I traipsed about, hoping to find the light switch. I stumble into a desk and hear a distant digital ding noise. This was followed by voices and footsteps. If we can get the subject to respond in positively, response, I hid there might be wall, something to discover. Listening in to what they were discussing. If we can get this subject to respond positively, there may be something to discover. One says. But we've tried so many times. What else can we try? Raising the amperage? The other postulates. The light flicks on. Oh, I don't know, Jane. Bob has a theory, and we'll probably shoot for that. 
one asserts. And if that doesn't work, what's the backup? The other questions. The backup is the Bureau and this site. This one is made to be impenetrable and infinitely expandable. We can hold them here for as long as we like. Take our time with testing. Their discussion was cut off by a loud alarm, and all the lights in the room turned red. I cower beneath a desk as alarm bells rang, their sounds having been decimated by years of inaction. The lights flashed red, and the two people in the room went running away. On the computers, I could see the alarm. Subject missing. Oh, God, I thought. And they're looking for me. Panic overswept me as I searched for a means of escape. Though consistent, thunderous footsteps continually darted up and down the room I was in. I narrowly escaped being spotted thanks to the corkboard cubicles surrounding me. I waited for things to become slightly calmer, less people sprinting around. A while had passed before I crawl out from beneath the desk to look around. The sirens were off, but the lights were still flashing red. Looking at the computers, they were all off or blue screened with a message reading remote shutdown in its error line. My vision blurred as a tremor rocked the place. One of the fiber ceiling tiles fell out before it stopped and I gazed up into a pitch black square. The red lights made it hard to see, especially in dark corners. So I figured my first objective was to locate my flashlight. I searched for the entrance, the door I had previously come through, but found nothing. The only visible doors led left and right. Going right, the door opens to a very blank corridor, surrounded by concrete and ventilation stretching forward in a line. The other door leads to a catwalk. I went through the corridor, hoping it was the way out. Beyond the thick walls, I could hear very little. My footsteps on the cold floor were all that accompanied me. Lights hung above me. Though they were so high in the air, their effect was minimal. The dimly lit halls stretched upwards, seemingly indefinitely similar to the room I was in before. I had been walking for a very long time before being met with a cross-section. A door in front and two on the sides. This is when I realized that I'll likely get lost. No signs pointed anywhere. Nothing described where I was. Completely lost. I picked a direction and went. Through another door, I found a catwalk. Metallic grating replaced the dull slap of my shoes on the concrete. 
yellow bars on the sides, with a drop you can't see the bottom of, although I struggled to even see the walls. These rooms had almost no light, the only hints of it being placed squarely on the sides with barely any luminance. As I trotted along, I eventually heard the rapid thudding of footsteps. Terrified and in a bit of shock, I froze. A man trotted out from a door and down the hall away from me. When the door opens, he clicks his radio, saying something to the effect of, I'm headed there now. After waiting until I was sure he was gone, I entered where he exited, finding a room full of equipment. Unfortunately, the guns, armor, and specialized equipment were presumably behind locked doors. I searched for a flashlight or anything of use, but was unable to find anything. While searching, another person trots into the room, and I hide behind some of the lockers. He sounds out of breath, a little panicked as he fiddles with keys and damns his gloves for making them inoperable. I hear him open the locker, grab something, then book it out of the room. I peek around the corner to see it still open, and to hear a distant, I'm on my way guys, hold out. Within was no gun or armor. There was a spare flashlight that looked like it belonged on a keychain, as well as a single grenade. I had no idea what kind of grenade, but it has a pin, and it's long. Regardless, a newfound hope fills my chest. I could vaguely remember my way back to the offices. Maybe there's a way out in the ceiling. I run down the halls and back through the doors, finding the computers and eventually the hole in the ceiling. I look up, turn on my flashlight, and see a rocky surface. Confused, I started looking for a good way up there, only for my light to suddenly die. Without any light, I doubt I could see up there. And I hope there are some batteries nearby for this thing. Pocketing the light, I went through the other door. Feeling slightly defeated, I walked down the opposite corridor and prayed for another stroke of luck. Such luck seems to evade me. After walking for what felt like ages, I found another cross-section. With a sigh, I pick a direction and go. A handful of doors later, and I've completely lost my way. A part of me started to question what this was. Was this what they intended? Did that first door save me? Or did it doom me? These thoughts stirred as I continued my march. Soon, I passed through a door to find the worst sight. Immediately upon its opening, a fully armed and armored guard stops me in my track. Pointing his rifle in my face, 
Get on the ground, now! He demands. I do as he says, and I hear something in the distance. It wasn't far, more like on the other side of the room. He heard this too, and turned around in a startle. Without taking his eyes off the dark room, he tells me, Move backwards. I crawl back into the previous room. He closes the door and immediately punts me in the stomach. As I writhe, he cuffs me, patting my pockets and finding my flashlight, which he leaves, and my grenade, which he doesn't. He gets me onto my feet and says, I'm ordered to kill on sight. It's your lucky day. As he smiles and turns me back around, opening the door to darkness again, he shoves me forward with the barrel of his rifle, stating, Move. Within the room was an odd growl. Something was very clearly inhabiting this space that wasn't supposed to be there. We walked forward together, though I realized I was about five feet ahead of my captor. Each step, the growling got louder, more intense. The only light we had was provided by wall-mounted red lights, half of which were broken in this room, making anything on the right impossible to see. Behind us, the door auto-shuts, enclosing us in here with something. Our steps were light, and the path forward was paved in stamped metal. Just as I could see a door unveiling itself from the darkness, I received a strong push to the right. I stumbled forward as my captor ran to the door, sliding his card through a reader to receive a beeping sound. What do you mean, error? He says, beep. I hit the floor and now hear the growling in full, feeling its warm breath in the back of my neck before it suddenly shifted away from me. Beep. God damn it, just work! My captor shouts. I feel a lurch. A large blur of motion to my side as I hear a slam from behind me. Fuck! No! He cries, instinctively pulling the trigger on his rifle, sending ricocheting bullets flying around the room, snarling growls and lashing thunder. He hits the wall. The beast skids his body along the lights, breaking them one by one. Before jumping forward, through the door we entered. The screaming grows distant as the growling is interrupted by guttural noises. Occasional sounds from the guard and the slamming of metal. I had curled up in a ball as this happened. Managing somehow to not get shot or ripped apart. I stayed like this for some time, quivering in fear that the creature may return for me.
When it didn't, I got to my feet. A trail of organs, flesh, and spent casings led towards a minuscule beam of light shining through the busted door. Blood cascaded down the walls, and in the vague light, I could see a key ring with an ID on the ground beside my grenade. His gun was there too, though hopelessly destroyed. I kneel and fiddle with the slick keys behind my back, before finally slotting one into the cuffs and releasing the restraint. As I free my arms and unlock the other side, I drop the cuffs, examining the ID card. Leon Midas, with a three beneath his face, as well as the job title of Assistant Storage Manager. A part of me felt as though this person was murdered by that guard, likely to get his security card. But why would a guard not have the highest level of clearance? My question felt better left unanswered. As the growling returned, I could see some freakish mound moving in the distance towards me. I attempted the door, and it graciously opened, no error. I quickly jumped through the door searching for a method to close it before palming a big red switch that to my immense relief closed the heavy metal door. Turning around, I saw fluorescent lights, some flickering or broken, but a fully illuminated environment. Clear glass was on either side, and below was a large, empty tank. Judging by the massive drains and a gargantuan hole on its side, this once held a body of water. Its size is hard to comprehend, being much, much bigger than a football field, with the bottom only barely visible despite intense lighting. The hall I walked parted to the right into a large room that likely would have been there, if not for its evident destruction. The metal framework pointed down. A majority of its glass walls and solid floor was on the ground. But a lot of material was simply missing. I could see the other side of the hall, thankfully untouched, with a door that led out. In a hurry, I walked over, exiting that room to find another hall. This continued for a while, and my mind had lost me. Not only had I no idea where I was, what I was doing, or how I was going to survive, but I also felt like this place went on forever. The doors looked the same. Some halls had me wondering if I had circled back, when I knew I'd been traveling in a straight line. Before long, I felt exhausted. There was an astonishing silence that had swept over, as if I'd entered a region uninhabited. Every step felt like pulling chains. My body so sore. My mind awash in bubbly thoughts and unreachable hopes of leaving. 
all degrading as the journey continued. With a sinking in my chest, I struggled to stay upright. My eyes gradually started closing. There was a sense of unsettling serenity, an understanding that everything is quiet and calm, yet feeling like something could happen at any moment. The anxieties burned within me, forbidding rest, yet demanding it as well. I collapse, falling asleep where I lie, in the center of a catwalk. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play with my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Signal connection restored. I woke up in the same place. It's darker now, the lights are off, and I can't see anything. My body feels startled, but I still hear only silence. A pounding sensation in my chest seems to alert me of an unknown danger, and so I take a moment to listen and gain my bearings, to breathe. Soon I dismiss this feeling as anxiety and rise to my feet walking forward with my hands extended. Finding a door, I locate its button and walk through. I clutch the wall and railings which blend into each other. Somewhere far off, I see a very, very distant glow. All I could do was follow it and hope it leads somewhere. I cover what feels like miles once again feeling overwhelmingly exhausted. My stomach growls, the pains of hunger setting in, but the glow was closer. Red lights illuminate a wall. I continued forward, thinking about food, wondering where or if I could get any. The lights don't just reveal a simple wall I'd come to expect. They covered the breadth of a grand door. Circular, with the lettering A3 on its face. This behemoth of a door stretched all the way upwards, its highest point hidden, 
shrouded in the shadowy recesses looming overhead. Nearby were four windows on the walls to either side of the massive door. One of these were broken, and as I approached, I could see a room which passed by this gargantuan entrance. Blood covered the walls, and the glass was broken outward. I looked for a way up and over, which didn't involve me getting cut to ribbons, eventually finding a section I could barely get through. Inside was simply a bloodbath, so much that it pooled around my shoes. A body sits immediately to the side, bisected, appearing to have had something explode through his cheekbones as well. The hunger pains momentarily subside as I try to hold down the bile building in the back of my throat. Above this massacred person is a very large, very heavy flashlight. I click the switch and a beautiful bright beam illuminates more of the horrible scene. Trying to distract myself from the wet squelching of entrails and blood under my feet, I focused instead on the light and how happy I was to have it. At the other end was more glass, but also more light. I stepped into something horrific. My body froze the moment I did. Squishy, with some solid bits beneath feeling like bones. I shudder and jump forward, yanking my foot out but leaving behind my shoe. I flip the flashlight back on to see what it is. A chest cavity. One which now has inside of it my shoe. I debate for a moment how much I actually need the shoe before thinking of all the broken glass and body parts still littered around me. Placing my foot on the cleanest part of the torso for leverage, I pull my shoe out. As soon as I place it back on my foot, I immediately leap out the next broken window. Thankfully, on the other side was no glass, at least none that I landed on. I turn on my flashlight and aim it into the room. A simple sphere stands there, wires course over its body like veins, and electricity sparked from the broken stands. Lights were on behind it, but nothing indicates this thing is activated, whatever it is. I walked around it, finding a door that read, Staff, overhead. I tried my ID, but a negative tone denies me entry. As I turned to walk away, the door suddenly opened, and a click sounded from behind the room. Come here. Someone says, the only thing visible being the barrel of their weapon sticking out of the door. Who, who are you? What's going on? I ask without moving. Name's Deb. She states plainly. This place has gone fuckside, and we're going to get each other out of here. I freeze again, misunderstanding or perhaps mishearing her. Now come on, 
We've got some distance to cover. Hidden away in the archives of the Redwood Bureau lies a case that serves as a clear example of just one of the extreme measures the Bureau takes to handle perceived threats or violations of their strict codes. It is known as Redwood Bureau Phenomenon 7554, or the doldrums. These recently uncovered records expose a reality far grimmer than mere confinement. They reveal a systematic approach to psychological warfare, a methodical unraveling of the human psyche under the guise of discipline, the purpose of which is still unknown. The doldrums, as detailed in these documents, is less a place and more a construct of the Bureau's creation. It's a realm where the rules of time and space seem distorted, designed to disorient and break the will of its inhabitants. The use of substances like cradle to induce a state of compliance and vulnerability only adds to the harrowing environment the Bureau engineers for its subjects. What emerges from these documents are a disturbing pattern of dehumanization and psychological torment. The Bureau's operations in the doldrums go beyond mere confinement. They delve into the realms of behavioral modification and mind control. The subjects are not only removed from the world they know, but are also stripped of their grounding in reality, left to wander in a labyrinth of confusion, pain, and despair. But perhaps the most unsettling aspect of the doldrums is its metaphorical significance. It represents the Bureau's broader stance towards anomalies, be they human or otherwise. It's a testament to their willingness to undergo even the most depraved measures in the name of control and power. The doldrums are a reminder that in the pursuit of that power, the Redwood Bureau can, will, and does exercise any and all methods they see fit. As we sift through the remnants of these case files, we are left pondering the fate of those who find themselves ensnared in the Bureau's grasp. The doldrums, for all its physical manifestation, is also a symbol of the mental and emotional entrapment that the Bureau inflicts on those it deems necessary to control or silence. The implications of such practices extend far beyond the walls of any physical location. They raise profound questions about the nature of the Redwood Bureau, the ethics of self-governance in the name of the greater good, and a path paved in their victims' blood. As we continue to uncover the layers of secrecy shrouding the Redwood Bureau, each document, each testimony, contributes to a growing understanding of the lengths to which this organization will go. The story of the doldrums is far from over. It's an ongoing situation that will not be stopped by merely shining a light on it. In exposing these truths, we hope to bring from those dark shadows the often unseen consequences of actions taken by the Bureau and those in positions of power within it. The journey into the depths of the Bureau's operations is a journey into the heart of darkness within human institutions, a reminder that the guardians of our world must themselves be guarded against the corruption of power. As this report joins the annals of the Bureau's leaked files, it serves not as an ending, but as a crucial piece in the ever-evolving puzzle of understanding the true nature and intentions of the Redwood Bureau. The path to uncovering the full extent of their operations is a labyrinth not unlike the doldrums themselves, but it's a path that must be navigated 
to bring accountability and transparency to those who wield unseen power.